Hello, everybody, and welcome to a spring breakfast. Uh, for those of you that are new to breakfast, I am your host, Matthew Hart, CEO for Longwoods. As you know, I'm looking forward to today's discussion. Um, I have known and worked with a lot of people from Philips over the last many years, and today promises to be an engaging discussion. So let's get started. To lead us through our conversation and welcome our featured speaker today, I would like to welcome the just newly announced manager, Managing Director for Philips Canada, Darren Fisher. Darren, it's all yours. Wonderful, wonderful. Good morning and uh, thank you, Matt. I appreciate the, uh, the warm welcome and thank you for uh, allowing Philips to host the session today. Uh, good morning to everybody on the line uh, and thank you for joining uh, as the Philips uh, Canada Managing Director, I'm really, really excited to have Dr. Shez Partobi join us here today in Canada. And although Shez resides in Europe and is part of the Philips Global uh, Leadership Team, he's certainly a fellow Canadian at heart. He obtained his medical degree from McGill University and completed his neuroradiology subspecialty at Barrel Neurological Institute in Phoenix, Arizona. Shez is a serial entrepreneur and has launched several IT companies, including two telehealth companies. And after a decade of clinical practice, Shez transitioned into executive roles at Dignity Health, where he served as Chief Health Information Officer and Chief Digital Officer. He oversaw the deployment of electronic health records and PAC systems across the enterprise. And he was also responsible for the digital experience of consumers, patients, and providers across Dignity Health. Subsequently, Shez joined Amazon Web Services, where he was a head of worldwide go-to-market strategy for healthcare, life sciences, and genomics. And today, Shez is our uh, Philips Chief Innovation and Strategy Officer, where he brings his clinical, entrepreneurial, and cloud experience to accelerate the Philips transformation and innovation journey. And Shez's career really has been driven by the belief in using technology for humanity's benefit and a passion for impact at scale, which you'll hear about today. And by leading meaningful innovation at Philips, he plays a critical role in our purpose to improve the lives of two and a half billion people by the year 2030, including 400 million people in underserved communities. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Shez uh, to get the session started. Thanks so much, Darren, and thanks, Matt, as well, and Longwoods Publishing, and uh, delight to connect with uh, fellow Canadians I'm going to go ahead and share a, a screen here, and then we'll go from there. All right. Um, before we uh, start, yes, it's it's just such a pleasure to connect with fellow Canadians. I, uh, as a as a beneficiary of the Canadian generosity as an immigrant, I'm always uh, eager to connect and find a way to give back to Canada. And so whenever there's an opportunity to present to folks that are actually working in healthcare in Canada, I always have a particular interest to uh, see if there are individuals with whom we can partner to do something great in Canada. So please consider that as you listen to the stories that we talk about today that I talk about and discussion we have. So really, thank you so much for coming. And today we're going to talk about uh, connecting, uh, connected patient-centric uh, care and, and enabling that across the continuum. And of course, <laughs> everywhere you look, uh, there is data that says the pandemic has accelerated digital transformation. I don't need to tell you this, it's like being Captain Obvious, but there are great publications out there that actually validate this, whether it's from Accenture and the Digital Health Technology Vision 2021 that talks about the executives that are leaning in to health transformation 81%, or whether it's from Deloitte um, talking about CFO spending up to 80% uh, more on digital transformation, or Philips itself, the Future Health uh, Index that we did talking about the 
increased expectation of adoption of telehealth. Um, today, really what I wanna do is talk about the signals that, that I have personally been hearing, Philips has been hearing from customers over the course of recent uh, months and uh, past two years, and then dive a little bit into those and talk about the things that we're doing at Philips to help advance solving those problems for customers. And I would say that the signals that we get and I've gotten personally from customers um, really fall into these three categories. This idea of how do we enable remote access to clinicians? Because of course, not only was this a subject before, but it got accelerated because of the distance that was mandatory between a clinician and a patient, whether in the hospital or outside the hospital. So we'll touch on a few things there, talk about tele-IC, about real-time collaboration and, and remote access technicians as workforce becomes an issue and access to workforce. I'll then talk of just to give an example or two from this push for arriving at actionable insights. We'll actually talk about what does that really mean and give an example or two of that as well. And then uh, we'll go ahead and talk about um, this desire for engaging patients remotely, whether it's video visits, online scheduling, which uh, if anyone any does for online scheduling, scheduling for virus, excuse me, for vaccination um, became really the calling, uh, rallying cry for the mass introduction of online scheduling, which is appropriate. And we'll talk a bit about biosensors and how to actually do remote patient monitoring using wearables. So let's go ahead and turn our attention to the first category here and talk about remote access to clinicians, what we've been hearing and what we've been doing um, to help solve this problem. Let's begin with uh, tele-ICU. Now, for those who may or may not be familiar, the idea of tele-ICU is that you're basically putting equipment, both audiovisual equipment, but also computing integration equipment into it and into an ICU. So hub and spoke model where you have a rural area, maybe in an underserved community, maybe just across town because they don't have intensivists. You put the equipment in that unit and then in another location in sort of a hub area where there might be a center of excellence or just staff available, they are providing um, remote monitoring of patients sometimes in tandem with local physicians that may not be intensivists, sometimes they may be intensivists and sometimes with uh, extenders that might be in the field. In the field. And so this is an area that Philips has had a long heritage of excellence over 15 years, plenty of experience and really helping shape and lead the industry and in being able to deliver, um, help clinicians deliver remote care at a distance in an intensive care setting. And, and in case you're wondering if it can scale, I mean, a good example would be, for example, um, in the United States, Northwell Health uh, in New York, where um, one of the facilities, their academic medical center, uh, North Shore, uh, the North Shore University Hospital that is actually managing 350 ICU beds in the broader sort of a, a metropolitan New York area from that one center. And, and during the pandemic, I actually wanted to set up an additional spoke. And within 48 hours, we helped them get that particular site in Lenox Hill set up. So from a scale point of view, this is provides incredible scalability to be able to move electrons instead of atoms. Instead of moving the atoms of an expert from one site to another, you're moving their electrons and delivering uh, care remotely, enabling that. Um, let's, so that's sort of intensive care. Let's uh, uh, actually, you know what, before I go forward, let me tell you about outcomes. Let me go back one slide because we say, well, so what, what are the outcomes? Um, a great example of an outcome would be actually from one of the facilities in the UK, um, Gwendon Hospital. Reduction of serious uh, uh, um, events by 35%. There was um, decrease in mortality in the ICU of the remotely monitored by 40%. There was an actual amazing reduction of cardiac arrest events by 80%. So this early warning system actually helps deliver higher quality care. 
Um, in another one, in one of the uh, hospitals here in the Netherlands, um, there was a 20%, 24% reduction of readmission to ICU for those ICUs that were monitored, and a 20% reduction of readmission to the hospital in general for those patients that had traversed through a remotely monitored EIC room. Um, and then from a, that's from a care point of view, from a cost point of view, I'll give you an example from the US, um, and that was Emory, Emory Health. Um, over the course of 15 months uh, showed that the cost of care in the intensive care unit went down by about 4.6 million US dollars because of the ability of the early surveillance system. Because it's not just video monitoring. This is using AI and, and machine learning to predict an, an event and to alert before it happens. So that's why you can have these better outcomes because you're actually uh, getting ahead of it. Um, let's uh, shift gears and talk about another area that really accelerated during the pandemic, and it actually is, is, um, is really interesting in value, which is um, that there are areas of the world where, by the way, it could be areas of the country where you want to have access to diagnostic equipment like, radio, uh, like uh, ultrasound, but you may not have the radiologist to be able to actually do it because some of these um, te technologies are actually require extensive training to use. And one of the technologies Philips has is the ability to actually look over the shoulder of someone who's doing a procedure remotely, like in the case of ultrasound, for example, but, and it could be anywhere in the world. Um, a, a good example is there are physicians in the US and, and, and in Europe that are helping residents in, um, in uh, Rwanda uh, at uh, Kigali University, where they're using this technology as a combination of Lumify and a technology called Reacts from Philips that allows this sort of a over-the-shoulder video, real-time support of a, another clinician that's actually delivering, uh, doing the ultrasound. And if you've done ultrasound, it's quite a bit of training to, to actually do it. So this enables to, again, move the electrons of the expert rather than moving the atoms and provide that uh, point-of-care support um, in whether it's underserved communities or whether it's just remote areas within US or Canada. It, it doesn't really matter, this ability provide that expertise. So that's another area where Philips has been doing quite a bit of work and there's acceleration uh, because of the need that came forward to us um, from uh, communities and clinical communities throughout the world. Uh, the, the, there's another really interesting uh, example of this, which is packaged from just being the remote ultrasound uh, supporting resident to being actually a, a solution that's sort of mobile, it's called mobile obstetrical monitoring, or MOM for short, where Care extenders anywhere in the world can partner with an OB to actually go in the communities and do antenatal care, do early screening, and to be able to deliver care where the mom is, uh, no matter what, so if she might not be able to travel uh, distances to a center of excellence. And in different parts of the world, this showed incredible, um, incredible value. There was a study done in Indonesia, actually, where this was being used in mom, and they were able to identify high-risk pregnancies at three times the normal rate um, of, of the sort of traditional methods. And in that study, over the course of uh, a year, there was a 99% elimination of anemia in the mothers. And of the mothers that were in that program, 89% went to full term. If, if you're familiar with the statistics, these are actually incredible uh, progresses for, uh, for these um, uh, communities. So this idea of being able to, again, extend technology, uh, extend, use technology to extend expertise um, is an area we saw a lot of need and we have uh, been working to advance it. And then finally, I talked about workforce. 
Um, one of the areas of workforce need is actually to be able to do support other imaging centers. So if you have MRI centers or CT scan centers that may not be in, in, in um, urban areas, sometimes the ability to actually provide services is limited by the expertise, the technologists. And so we have a solution called Radiology Operations Command Center that's actually vendor agnostic. It doesn't have to be Philips equipment. It helps a technician, an expert technician in a sort of a command center mode to extend out and help other technicians that are doing scanning to be able to do the right protocoling, the right uh, kind of imaging, verify the imaging was done right, and to see if it was uh, it was optimized to, to avoid recalls, to avoid uh, inadvertently incorrect scan type, or if they get, gave contrast, didn't give contrast. So these are, this is another example of, again, moving electrons instead of atoms, um, remote access to expertise, whether it's a technician, whether it's a nurse, clinician, um, a physician. And so this is an area that, we saw incredible growth and demand and which one in which we rose up to meet that challenge with some of the solutions that we've had for years in the market like TelICU and some of the solutions that we've developed in order to um, help our customers and help organizations meet the challenge and, and, and going ahead. Let's um, shift gears and uh, talk about actionable insights and some of the things we're seeing in the needs in the market around this and what, what we're doing to support it. So operational forecasting is an area of, I mean, it exploded during the pandemic everywhere in the world. Now, what, what I, I, let me give you an example of operational forecasting. Um, I remember I was talking with this chief operating officer and uh, uh, this is last year and, and she said to me, look, she says, I don't need to know what's happening in my hospital right now. I need to know what's going to happen in my hospital next week. And to her, what she was telling me is that, look, we've gone from, and I remember, I was, we're looking at Excel files of operations that were like a quarter, a month old. That's way gone. We moved, we as an industry, moved to sort of real-time visualization. Terrific. But what the industry and what customers are telling us is, I need to be able to see into the future. It's not enough for you to give me fancy visualization of my data right now. I need you to be able to, and in fact, you and I, we use this all the time. If, if I told you that I can give you all of the weather data for Toronto on your iPhone, you're like, okay, well, that's interesting. I just need to know if I should have an umbrella icon or a sunshine icon, if I will, because you just want to know, do you take an umbrella or don't want to take an umbrella? You want a forecast. All the weather data of Toronto on your phone is a, Ah, limited value. You're not going to sift through it all to figure out what's going on. You want to know in the middle of the day when I'm out about, do I need an umbrella or not? Maybe not in Toronto. I guess it's either going to snow or have sunshine. Maybe if it was in Vancouver, uh, where I used to live, um, you'd want to know if you have an umbrella or not. And so this idea of forecasting is critical. And we heard from customers as well. So one of the examples of what we've developed is this being able to forecast patient flow. And by that, I mean this idea that you can predict things like, okay, the patient just got admitted. Based on the app, and the models, by the way, the machine learning models that are built are based on the organization's own data, because that's really important. If you're going to build machine learning models, you're not going to try to take a model from UCLA and try to apply it to UT. Um, the idea is you take, we work with our customers to take the actual data, a priori data, and then build a model that's local to the organization, because Healthcare is local. 
diseases are local, trends are local, everything is local. So these models are fine-tuned with local data. And then so when a patient is admitted, you can, based on the data that's been used to model for that particular organization, you can predict things like length of stay. Now, how would, you know, when, you, when I think of care management, when I was working in a hospital, care management used to come in and they used to go through the hospital either alphabetically or by floor um, to look at care management and see if a patient can move to the next level of care, if they can be discharged. How would you do care management differently if you would come in and it's sorted by length of stay? You know, if your average length of stay is 3.3 days and a patient comes in and the machine learning model predicts the length of stay is going to be 6.2, but you might want to go and see what is going on and, and care management teams, they may be called something different in your organization, might be wanting to look at it based on that. So this idea of predicting duration to transition of care is one in which is this idea of forecasting your patient flow from the moment they come in the hospital, as they go from transition from level to level, you can predict and including predicting the likelihood of readmission and so on. And so that's an example. And this, this particular solution does it at admission, does it at 24 hours, 48 hours, and 72 hours using models that are built in based on local data to be able to predict the particular journey for this individual. And the model gets refined because, of course, you're using it in real time and the model is self-learning and, and it's actually constantly improving itself. So this is an example of operational forecasting that helps an organization basically run itself better. What's going to be my, what is my emergency department going to look like next Thursday at 8 p.m.? Um, these are all based on sort of models that are predict based on the ED's own, emergency department's own flow. Now, clinical prediction, uh, if, if I go back again one slide here, so we talked about operational forecasting. I want to turn to clinical prediction because often uh, misunderstood, and I'll tell you what our customers are telling us they want to hear and then what we're doing. Um, first, Clinical prediction isn't clinical, is not clinical diagnosis. It's around probability. It's around going from a journey from data to information, information to knowledge, knowledge to insights. So let me give you a real example that I hope will give you succinctly what actionable insights in a clinical realm means, and then what we are working towards, because this is what we heard from our customers that they want this. So, to give you the metaphor to sort of drive this clinical prediction home so we can all be from the same sheet of music. If I gave you a single blood sugar value of 144 milligrams per deciliter, you might say, well, okay, that's not normal. Did the patient just, did the person just have ice cream? Did they just have pizza? Is it you know, fasting blood sugar? What is it? It's a single data point, it's valuable, but it's, it's incomplete, if you will. Now, if I gave you a trend of blood sugars, that was going up over time, that's information. You have, and this is what often most people talk about when they talk about data visualization, is they're saying, look, don't give me data, give me visualization. They're saying, give me information. And there is more to be gleaned and learned if I gave you trends. And if I then said, okay, this patient has uncontrolled diabetes, I have begun to transition from data to information to knowledge. And what really is the question that is at the heart of improving quality and reducing cost of care and improving human experience is, so what's the chance this patient's gonna have heart failure in the next 18 months? So data, information, knowledge, and insights. This goes back to that example I gave for the umbrella icon and the sunshine icon. All the data of Vancouver's weather on your iPhone in the morning is of limited, potentially of no value to you. You cannot sift through it all and arrive at an intelligent decision. You'd be better off just looking at the sky. 
because you're using your neural network in your brain. So what you want is an icon. Do I take an umbrella or not? And what clinicians constantly tell us is it's not just about reams of data. It's not even about data visualization anymore. Remember what I said that that chief operating officer asked me for prediction. Clinical prediction is this idea of moving up this value chain so you deliver insights. And what we are here, if you look at Philips's portfolio, we have solutions and propositions, whether it's in healthy living, whether it's in preventative, whether it's in diagnostic and position health and position medicine and treatments or in home care. Our customers are telling us, don't just give me data. Heck, don't just even give me visualization. Help me glean knowledge and help me predict with the probability. Patient flow was one example in an operational sense of predicting. And so these, and by the way, we do this from everything from toothbrushes and nudging people for healthy behavior, all the way to um, using sensors and, and nudging for different things, which I'll well, talk to when I talk about the last category. So our what we are really exploring, and this is where if there's a opportunity for us to collaborate, we should. We are pushing all our solutions to not just give visualization, but to give insights, to give actionable insights so that clinicians can act on those insights, whether it's a nurse, physician, from pharmacist, pharmacologist, you name it, um, technologist can work on. So that is this area when we talk about actionable insights and what our customers are asking us to do, this is what we are leaning in, whether we, some example I gave you and other areas that are across the continuum care. I'm not gonna talk about supply chain. Um, it's an area that's, that's very interesting, but we can't cover everything today. So I'll skip that. So let's turn attention to the last part of the story today. <clears throat> and then uh, we'll turn to uh, questions. So remote patient engagement, I sort of uh, jokingly said, well, we won't talk about video visits. We talked about telehealth with the ICU thing. I don't want to double click on that too much. As I said, with when it came to uh, vaccinations, we sort of, as a society, as a global society, by and large, certainly in many, many countries, were forced on to adopt both delivering and adopting online scheduling. And and at Philips, we have a number of solutions that, that are focused on uh, patient management solutions that help with with the schedule. Now, in the case of since I use it as an example. Um, vaccine, it's, it's sort of one-dimensional. You make an appointment, you go have your uh, vaccination done, which is really important. In the case of when you think of clinical care or whether it's, for example, imaging like scheduling uh, a radiology exam, there are greater opportunities than just finding a slot in a calendar because at that point, you've connected with the patient to actually do an engagement. Now, in this case, the premise is the schedule is the underlying premise, but there's so much more once you have that umbilical cord around finding in a, a, a schedule. Now, clearly there are things such as helping send reminders, which are both great for the patient because they may forget, but also great for the organization. One of the things that is always a challenge is that when you have no-shows, you're losing capacity. And, and in some communities, having a patient, now it shows not only unfortunate because the patient didn't get their exam or their appointment, but somebody else could have been in that slot. And so this idea of losing capacity because of um, suboptimal scheduling mechanisms and methods is the one that is addressed. And one of the studies we did, we showed that having this tool for radiology reduced no-shows by 45%. And then, and then equally important is that 
is care, care continuity and ensuring the patients are on their care journey. So there's another study we did where when a specialist, excuse me, when a generalist referred for a specialist, this idea of the handoff and the connection to ensure this actually happens is an important part of the care journey. And so this preventing a referral to drop into a chasm is an important aspect of this connection around scheduling. And so there's another study we did where there's a 30% improvement in actually this continuation from one handoff of care point to another point of care because this, this method actually allowed for that to continue. And then one of my personal favorites is that actually to do with kids. Um, we have also solutions that help, again, in, in this model of making an appointment for a child to have an MRI exam, we actually have tools um, that in prep, again, remember I said, once you create the umbilical cord under the auspice of making an appointment, there's so much more you can do. And in this case, um, it's an actual tool that helps children understand the imaging that they're going in for, in this case, MRI. And it's, it's a three-stage activity, which is why it's one of my favorites. So A, remotely engaging A, the parent for scheduling, but B, engaging the child for helping them understand um, what that was actually gonna happen in the MRI scanner. B, when they come in, there's a toy scanner called a kitty scanner. And the child, the, the same character, Ollie, is in sort of a, uh, um, a stuffed animal. And then the child actually can practice scanning the, the, this, this character in the toy scanner. And then when they actually go in the MRI scanner, Ollie is the voice that actually talks to the child to breathe and not breathe and stay still. And all these projected on the MRI scanner as they're lying down, the actual, the same uh, elephant, and that character that was with the child from home follows them all the way through. And the so what is unbelievable. So 70% fewer rescans because the child can stay still better because they're more relaxed. 91% um, decrease in the need for anesthesia in children ages four to six. This is mind blowing. Uh, and 84% um, uh, just doing a survey on uh, uh, the, uh, the feeling of calmness as they went in for the procedure. So when we talk about uh, remote patient engagement, there's so much more uh, than just an appointment. The last thing I'll talk about, and then I'll, I'll, I'll uh, pause for questions and discussion, um, is around uh, connections, connecting remotely with biosensors and wearables. And um, it, of course, in the case of, it's interesting, we typically think of sensors and wearables for being at home, um, which of course is, is appropriate. It's interesting, during the pandemic, there was a phase of time in which wearables were being used actually in the hospital because there was so much uncertainty and um, healthcare providers were trying to avoid actually going into the room as much as possible. So we actually had an area of time where we got a lot of use of a lot of sensor, sensors and wearable technology um, that was actually being used uh, within the facilities themselves. But one of the examples I can give you is from Phoenix, Arizona, an organization using wearables and the effect um, um, for, in this particular program, which was called Intensive Ambulatory Care. So this is discharge to the home early, but with wearable technology in order to monitor the patient. You know, some call it hospital home. It's probably a little bit overused term. Uh, I prefer what the, this organization called Intensive Ambulatory Care, AIC, uh, IAC, or Ambulatory Intensive Care, AIC. 
trying to remember which one, but this was basically around putting sensors wearables and then helping remotely monitor the patient in order to um, uh, early discharge, but also having high acuity of care at home. And they um, followed patients for one year. And there were, um, uh, the, there was a, I'm trying to know what the rate of, there was this four, four that's 50%, a 50% reduction in readmissions um, in the patient, the same patient population. They, that's right, the same patient population, they stayed in the year before they went on the program and for the year after they were on the program. And in that, when they compared the same, so internal matched, the same patients the year before, year after, there's a 50% reduction of readmission to hospital based on this uh, using sensors and remotely man managing patients in an intensive amateur at home setting. And these are, of course, monitors from Philips, as well as their software from Philips that helps do this. Um, and, and Banner Health, which is the one at Phoenix, is one of the uh, sites in which we've partnered together and, and done some co-creation of uh, some of these programs. Okay, so I've covered for you um, the things we're hearing, the signals we're getting. Um, help us remotely access clinicians, help us get actual insights, help us connect with patients. Um, I hope these have been useful for you. I look forward to any questions you might have. Um, and uh, Darren, I'm gonna pass it back to you. Thanks so much for giving me 25 minutes to present to you. And I look forward to having a conversation. Yeah, I think, I think that's great, Chez, and thank you for the presentation. Um, I hope that everybody on the line uh, was able to get a sense of how we at Phillips are innovating in this space. And before we jump into Q&A, um, I'd like to provide a few sort of bring to life, uh, a few examples across Canada uh, where we're partnering with our customers, uh, certainly in the uh, virtual and digital health um, space. And, you know, Shez, Shez talked early in the presentation about, uh, you know, increased level of interest in uh, virtual and digital health. Um, and we're helping to bring this bring this to life. So I'll, I'll provide uh, three uh, quick examples, uh, some simple, some complex, but certainly all uh, we believe and our customers believe uh, really impactful uh, for healthcare delivery. So let me start on the West Coast. Um, in Western Canada, we're working with several clinics that have really struggled with data silos um, and ultimately information sharing across uh, a large ge geographical footprint. And so in this case, uh, Philips is partnering to integrate these clinics to enable their staff to collaborate as one network. Um, and we're leveraging uh, for, our, for our partner, uh, a single cloud-based ECG management platform. And uh, sound, sounds relatively simple, um, but it's really, really impactful. And we hope to improve the quality of uh, care they deliver, obviously the right data at the right time um, to provide quicker care and then uh, obviously impact uh, health outcomes too. So we're proud of that, that, that opportunity and that partnerships uh, in flight uh, right now. If I move uh, a little more centrally uh, to Ontario, um, we're working with researchers at Hamilton Sciences and McMaster University in developing a potential solution to bridge the gap between hospital and home for patients who undergo uh, major surgery. And so SmartView, and some folks may have heard of SmartView, is a remote automated monitoring and virtual hospital to home care system that follows patients who undergo cardiac and major vascular surgery. And the solution utilizes Philips unique technology and includes a team of nurses to wirelessly monitor patients' vital signs on the unit. And when released, uh, continues that monitoring uh, at home during the first 30 days of recovery. And so using mobile technology, nurses 
can follow patients through the recovery process, ensuring any complications are identified and triaged quickly. The solution is currently being tested in a formal research trial to determine whether it can reduce hospital readmissions, complications, uh, and ultimately death that can occur um, in some cases uh, in the weeks following surgery. So a um, little more complex, a little more integrated, and certainly uh, working with uh, um, a, a, a reputable uh, institution um, in Hamilton Health Sciences and McMaster University. And so I'll shift east and actually, uh, Shez talked about over-the-shoulder ultrasound. Um, and this example is, is from Quebec, uh, where we're working with uh, our customers on a solution to expand access for maternal fetal imaging in rural and remote settings. So in this specific region, healthcare is provided by four hospitals covering through three counties and where physicians are shared and support is, is limited, especially in the most remote site. So expert physicians at the university hospital are connected virtually with an ultrasound device and sonographer in a rural town to a secure interactive audio video platform called Collaboration Live. And so she has talked about this as over the shoulder and support uh, to remote locations. And this is a technology actually we acquired during the pandemic from a Montreal based company. And so ultimately it allows sonographers working at remote sites to interact with specialists at the academic site to show live scans and receive real time feedback on their findings to take action. So we're, we're really excited um, uh, about this one in terms of combining ultrasound with telehealth to make imaging uh, accessible almost virtually, um, virtually anywhere, I should say. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a really amazing uh, yet simple and innovative solution uh, to improve access to care. And from uh, our perspective and our partner's perspective, um, you know, we're targeting a reduction in time for first-time right diagnosis. And then uh, a, a big one is decreasing patient travel to and from large urban centers. So being able to provide faster quality care closer to where patients reside. And then as a, as a secondary outcome and focus, uh, it also provides enhanced education and training uh, for rural sonographers. So in true partnership fashion, Philips will also be partnering with the institution to gather the, gather the data uh, around the effectiveness and outcomes. And when successful, uh, we will expand and deploy on a larger scale to help all remote communities in the region. And we're really proud of Philips uh, uh, and Philips Canada uh, to be able to engage with customers at this level. And in this specific case, remove geographic barriers uh, to healthcare delivery. So I wanted to share some of the amazing work uh, with all of you today. I hope it's inspired uh, you by some of these real life examples and innovations in virtual care. And so before I jump into Q&A, um, I just, I wanna share with the group that, you know, Philips, we continue to invest in our out of hospital virtual care solutions. Many acquisitions over the last few years, I spoke about the one from, uh, from a Montreal based company, uh, as well as uh, numerous initiatives in research and de design and development. And so we are open as an organization uh, to uh, partner uh, with you. And if uh, there's uh, interest level based on the content that was shared or otherwise, uh, certainly uh, please reach out to me. Uh, I'd be happy to explore that with, uh, with my team. So with that, uh, we'll jump into Q&A and I'll just take a quick peek across at the screen in terms of questions. Bear with me for one second. So Chez, maybe if, um, if you can kick us off. Uh, so the, the question is, uh, you joined Phillips from AWS. 
And uh, the question was, how do you see your experience at AWS um, as a leading cloud provider shaping innovations here at Philips? Um, the, um, gosh, from a, when I look at what Philips is doing, and I, uh, by the way, I, 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 I came here because, um, Darren, you mentioned one of our missions to improve the lives of two and a half billion people every year of which 400 million should be underserved uh, is actually one of the main reasons I joined. I really wanted to be close to that mission. Um, and from a cloud perspective, there are a couple of things. So Philips about five years ago decided that it will move its offerings to the cloud which was at the time, if you think back five years, it was not necessarily a foregone conclusion. And so what, what Philips has done is sort of take the, take the, the what, 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 what everybody else gets is a cloud. And on top of that built a medical grade cloud. So we took the conventional cloud that's offered and put a platform, we built a platform on top of that, which we call Health Suite. And that is essentially a medical grade compliance, geographic compliance, Canada, US, UK, Europe, you name it, added the compliance tier, the security tier, the manager, what, what really people in that industry call the control plane. And then we are now building, we have been for the past five years, moving all our offerings onto health suite. So cloud is down below, that's where I was. I was at AWS, I was sort of the, the, the undifferentiated cloud at the, at the, at the at sort of the bottom of the stack. We built at Philips Health Suite, which is the medical grade uh, stack on top of uh, the cloud, and then building our solutions on top of that. And that allows a few things to happen, which are really exciting, and just very briefly. One, it means that our solutions can start to talk to one another. And from the perspective of our customers, said, look, if I buy two Philips stuff, I want them to be able to be integrated. And so we are, as more of our solutions move on to Health Suite, by definition, they're interconnected. And then Health Suite itself uses standard industry um, um, interfaces, a, a fire, uh, DICOM, um, HL7. So when Health Suite comes into an organization, it plugs into the fabric of the organization using standards. So a great example is UCLA, for example. UCLA in, in California said, look, we're gonna drop in Health Suite. We got a bunch of Philips stuff and we're gonna use Health Suite to connect to the remaining fabric of UCLA. Now everything in UCLA all connects through um, this health suite fabric. So not only Philips stuff, but also um, UCLA and their building stuff too. From an from a AWS story coming here, what's exciting is that this is specific to healthcare. Uh, when I was at AWS, the story was a little bit more generic, right? I mean, it's like, it's, uh, by the way, Amazon was a great company. I, I had a terrific time there. They were, I learned a lot. And the story here at Philips is it's specific for healthcare. So it's built on the public cloud, specific for healthcare. So that's this distinction, if you will, uh, between um, where I was and where I am now. Good, thank you, thank you. Um, actually quite a few questions. I don't know if we'll get through them all, but we'll, we'll do our best for sure. Uh, so next question, uh, my interactions with Philips have typically been transactional. I'm not familiar uh, with how partnerships with Philips uh, look like. Can you please provide a few details? So uh, maybe Chiz, I'll, I'll take this one and give a you know a Canadian um, uh, yeah, sure. hit on this. So what I, what I would share with the group is you know in contrast to traditional uh, transactional relationships for for us, forming strategic partnerships is identifying a shared vision with our customer, 
and shared benefits to both both organizations. Um, so I'm sure everybody on the line knows that uh, if, if there's not mutual uh, benefits to both organizations, uh, it won't pick up the traction. And so certainly first the shared vision and then uh, uh, shared, shared benefits. Um, our engagement's closely tied to our customers achieving their goals and ultimately tied to the quadruple aim, so at a high level. We start with a defined problem uh, that, the, that our customers are trying to solve. Uh, so you could talk about an example like uh, Shez, Shez talked about today around operational forecasting. Just as an example, we'd work closely with our customer to define uh, you know, root causes of the problem and then bring in our experts paired with our customer experts in a co-creation fashion. Um, and we have a standardized way of doing this um, to really be able to tease out the expertise on both sides, uh, our organization, and then certainly uh, the customer organization. Um, deep expertise locally in Canada, as well as back to uh, our respective businesses um, and experts that we would bring in to interface experts on the, uh, on the uh, customer side. And really for us, um, defining what the solution and framing that out uh, developing uh, key performance ind indicators, performance-based metrics, and then establishing governance in terms of a roadmap of how we'll get to that you know, North Star um, as a group. So examples can be as large as our relationship with like McKenzie Health as their managed technology services provider, or as simple and innovative some of the examples that have already been shared on the call today. Uh, there's certainly no one size from my perspective and my team's perspective, uh, one size fits all solution. It's uh, you know characterized uh, by that specific hospital, by that specific, uh, you know, Ontario Health team as an example. So this is the importance of co-creation, uh, showing tremendous value, and then also the governance. So hope that provides some insight uh, to the question. And then um, I'll just quickly bring up the question, Shiz. I think uh, I, saw, I saw another one for you, and, and we talk about barriers to healthcare. We've talked a lot about uh, virtual over-the-shoulder um, there's a specific question about internet connectivity. So let me quickly play it. Uh, have you given consideration as to how these innovations would work in Northern and rural remote communities that have specific barriers such as lower internet connectivity? Um, happy to also chime in on that one too, but maybe throw it over yeah, to you. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm gonna give a shout out to the team in Montreal that built Reacts <laughs> because um, that, so yes, this is an area that's really keen for us in terms of being able to make our, we talk internally at Philips about accessible, affordable, sustainable innovation. Every time I say the word innovation internally in our own memos, those three words come in front of it. Accessible, affordable, sustainable innovation. It's not just about innovation because you can make innovation that does not impact the lives of two and a half billion people globally and 400 million of which should be underserved. So with that mission, we are forcing ourselves every single day to look at sustainability, look at accessibility, look at affordability. We, those three vectors are used in accessibility. So for example, the team in Montreal and the React solution that we purchased from Montreal, I shared with you just during my brief presentation that it's being used in Rwanda. I'm not trying to say Rwanda has no internet, but it's certainly not fiber optic to the desktop like it is in whatever. So absolutely is an area of keen interest. We keep a very close eye. We even, I mean, at Philips, we even think about if the AI algorithms we're using is using too much electricity and is not healthy for the planet. We spend time calculating the energy use on the AI algorithms and how can we build algorithms that uses the least amount of power. So we obsess over these things, absolutely. 
I think that's great. And I see, I see Matt back on. There, were, there are about five or six other questions. Uh, folks, feel free to reach out to me direct uh, and I can answer them, but I'll, I'll uh, respect the time. And uh, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to be here today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, Darren, Shez, thank you very much. Uh, fantastic conversation. Um, as everybody knows, we do pride ourselves on finishing on time and we've managed to do that today. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day and we'll talk to everybody soon. Bye-bye.